So who do we have? We have Jason. We have David. We have Terry. Yes, I I liked your uh, layout, Terry. Um, it was, uh, I mean, very, very tracky. <laughs> lots of track. That would be very of... tracky. Well, not tracky, lots. but tracky. You know, and not a whole lot of scenery. There was the, that nice uh, scene when you came down with the photograph, but you know, you got to make the track well, work. You have to make the track could... work first. So. Exactly. Exactly. I'll get to scenery eventually. I'm going to try and make a big push to try and finish the main line this year, but unlikely to happen. But I'm going to give it the old college try. That's all you can do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have to, <laughs> it's an ongoing joke with somebody around here about this one particular person that I was involved in the, in a club with that uh, he his view was well, I like building scenery, so I'm going to start building scenery as soon as possible on the club layout. And we, you know, constantly trying to beat him because it's like, you know, you're putting scenery in front of the track, and then you get mad at me when I break your scenery fixing the track because the track isn't right yet. You know, Jim, he's right. That's the way the prototype does it. The scenery's there first. Uh, yeah, okay. Technically speaking, <clears throat> but. I mean, I'm sure that if the prototype could do it, they'd put in the scenery afterwards. <laughs> but actually, but they'd also do everything in a straight line, too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and they would not have mountains. Or bridges. Right. And then they wouldn't wash away. <laughs> that's a great video, if you, for those who've seen it. Which one's well, not? You should, you should see what they're doing in uh, along the Missouri River right now. Uh, a lot of the track that is along uh, in the flood zone, because the river is right at yep. the flood level, yep. they're uh, clearing out any track that they can and raising the levee uh, as best as they can uh, to keep all that from flooding in. And it's mm-hmm. something I would have never expected. Well, I remember hearing stories about uh, when the Mississippi flooded so badly so many years ago? Is uh, I think... Um, years ago was that, too? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the first one, the, the first one, the first time that it really flooded badly were, you know, just the big ones. I don't even remember what year it was. But, um, and uh, I guess I'm going to say it was the Illinois Central, but whoever it was right along the... Um, Right along the river there, they were the, the track crews were in there, and they were raising. They were actually keeping ahead of the water. They were raising the track an inch an hour. Like they were able to ra- keep raising the track an inch an hour, and then when the uh, when it started, when the river started to rise two inches an hour, they lost. They just, they just couldn't. They couldn't keep doing it. But I was amazed that they were able to do that with the track. Keep it, you know, keep ahead of the flood. That long. 
that, that it is impressive and it's just amazing the things that uh we do to do that because i know the area i live in the town has a whole historic district that is right along the river and the levee runs by and then we've got railroads uh that come in and we've got swing gates that close the levee off as the railroad goes through um, and we've got drop gates over the roads that uh, they can drop down and then sandbag against so it's mm-hmm. It's a feat, and I feel for anybody that's actually going through all that right now because it's uh, we've got friends that have had to basically empty out their houses and move to higher ground um, for mm. basically the rest of the summer until uh, the dams up in South Dakota can start uh, lowering their flow rates because at this point it's anticipated until at least the end of August, beginning of September before uh, the, Ouch. the flood levels go down. And I'm like, oh. And the rain we've been having is not helping. Right. My American history is very limited being a Canadian, but is there some reason why it was chosen to do all these levees versus maybe limiting some of these areas to more high ground to develop, build, and so forth? Is there some Uh, reason, or has the weather patterns just changed that much that that's just the, the long and short of it? Before all the levees were built, the towns were in place. Um, so, And then as traffic grew on all these, especially the Missouri and the Mississippi, uh, the core came through and, and straightened and desnarled all the rivers and levied them to help because, you know, now all of a sudden you they've taken out, you know, X number of miles of, floodway and riverway that was t- helping take some of the flood, not all of it by any means, but uh, so now the water runs pretty quickly straight down. They've got dams at different areas to help control when floods happen. Um, but uh, I think uh, I was, when I lived in Omaha, I was uh, uh, doing some historic research for a couple of the towns there. Uh, in the course of a thousand years, the Missouri River right there has changed um its position in the valley i think eight times um to kind of give you an idea of you know you know omaha for the most part is pretty decent it's up on the river uh council bluffs which is on the iowa side is kind of screwed because they're in that riverbed um and so most of the rules for the city um play off of a concept that we call the hundred year flood which if you've lived anywhere in the Midwest, we've had the 100-year flood, the 50-year flood, the 5,000-year flood. I'm waiting for what flood they're going to come up with for the, or what name they're going to come up with for the next flood. Uh, but uh, you have to you have to be two feet above the 100-year flood level um, when you build now, and uh, which means well, basically bringing in a bunch of dirt and then building on top of it. Well, that's pretty much the same in Toronto because we, we are the I guess you could say the catch basin basin of a huge watershed of the southern Ontario area. And there's lots of valley areas that are basically considered now non-buildable or very you need very special exceptions to be able to build anything in these areas. Um, so they are tackling these problems. It's just when I watch all these things, it just, you know, especially when you even talk about like, the hurricanes and how it devastated New Orleans in this, 
and just some listening to some of the reports of how these levees, like, yeah, they've been there for years and everything, but just the maintenance and the upkeep for kind of these systems is is going to be ex- <laughs> uh, extraneous to, to, to keep going with. But if if you're still going to keep developing in these areas that are low lands, you're just it, it, you're kind of asking for trouble. But if it's strictly now that the weather patterns are changing and becoming so extreme that whatever systems were put in place when these were developed, I understand how catching up with them is always going to be a problem. But it just seems to be more and more on a regular basis. And even in Canada, because you can go out to uh, to Manitoba, and that's we've had huge flooding in that area, and that's all kind of your... I think I think that's all kind of connected with the Mississippi, Missouri, uh, in a in a sense, because it's all the similar watershed areas. Um, and, and it's not that there's tons of population, at least up here in the Midwest. Uh, I mean, you go between the major cities. Uh, you know, if you start in northern Iowa and you work your way down, you basically have you know 100 miles of farmland and. You know what runs alongside the river is actually the railroad tracks and uh, the interstate, and then it goes. You know, you go from Sioux City down to Omaha, Council Bluffs, then you go down to uh, Kansas City, um, and then that goes across to, uh, the state of Missouri over to and connects with the Mississippi. Um, but uh, you know, and for the most part, that's you never hear about the farmers that have to go through all this that for the most part they don't complain they know where they're at and you know their farmland's cheap and when it's not flooding they have the best irrigation when it does flood you know what do you do for these people other than you know do your best to help them out if you live close and uh, if you live in the city and you hear about these people if you can go and help sandbag that's about all you can ask i mean i feel sorry for the people that live in those areas but on the other hand you know, I have to sit and look at it and go, well, I live where tornadoes go, and if my house gets destroyed by a tornado, well, that was kind of my choice. But on the other hand, you know, nobody wants to have a natural disaster happen to them. So. Of course, then uh, one could one could then say, then what the heck about me? Of course, I didn't have my house destroyed, but what about the people in Massachusetts that just had <laughs> their houses destroyed? And it's like, wait a minute, tornadoes don't happen here. They just don't happen do. often. No, they, well, yeah, they don't happen often. I think yeah, you're going to well, see a lot of weird events in different areas, which you never considered before as we go forward. No, probably. Because oh, we've, we've had um, earthquakes in Toronto, which is not unheard of, but it was the last one was much stronger than anything that's ever hit here before. We actually had a hurricane in 1954. Haven't had one since, but that's kind of an really odd thing considering how far inland we are from the main ocean sources. So, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're seeing the, the effects of global warming and or all these other things is starting to really play into some of these major weather pattern kind of things that are seem to be getting a little more extreme these days. Yeah. I'm, I'm always curious as to what, because it always seems like our view of weather is fairly microscopic, um, meaning that, you know, if it hasn't happened in 50 years, well, it never happened before type of concept. Uh, you know, I'd be curious to know, you know, how many years, you know, is this just part of a greater global cycle 
uh, that the world goes through, you know, or is this truly, you know, an affect of global warming and the added moisture and all that that goes into that whole idea? Um, because, to be honest, I mean, I remember, you know, when, you know, having this kind of weather when I was a very young kid, and then there's a huge gap between that and now. So, you know, 20 years ago I remember it, but I don't re remember it since then. And now I remember, you know, now that we're having it again, it's like, oh, yeah. You know, I remember having to hide out in the basement underneath my parents' stairs because the sirens would go off once a week, all summer long. And now we're kind of back at that. Yeah. Well, I think there are other contributing factors, but, yeah, it is probably cyclical, like you're saying. Anyways, back to real railroading crap. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, uh, yeah, this is going to be, be one big edit point uh, for, the, for the post show. Like, as important as this is, this has got nothing to do. That's why we, that's why we call into the show is to be removed from the gobbledygook that goes on oh, I know. in I, life. I, I spent the last two days fixing leaks on the house. So, yes, railroading stuff. Jim, what are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Um, actually, not right much right now because I'm still waiting for parts. Um, I've, well, what's uh, this track? What's that picture of the track you sent? Yes. That I gave you a hard time on being yellow. That's okay. You're right because I was wondering what was wrong, and I should know that. I should know that, that it was a little yellow, but um, I don't know whether I would put, put – Dying it gray first is not a bad idea. What I had said about the first tie, that you probably like that one better because it's not, except for the left-hand edge of it, basically the tie does not look yellow at all, but that's because that's one of the ties that I hit with the um, uh, the ebony stain first. Yeah. That whole tie was hit with ebony stain, and I thought it was too dark, and then I hit over it with uh, a different stain, and I you said, know, that it was pretty good. As the whole with the whole ebony stain on it, it looks like a very good new tie, like a brand new tie. Right, right. Um, but but I think like I don't think that's the look you're quite going for. No, you probably you want you want you want new ties on occasion, but you don't necessarily want everything yeah. to look new. I, I just think yeah, I think it's just missing that little bit of gray that the sun gives. Wood. Believe it or not, <laughs> believe it or not, the um, when I told Mike Rose that the ties that I had I had on my thing in uh, Collinsville, um, I said that's all. That's mainly done with uh, white um, pencil. It's uh, pastel pencil. He's like, okay, pencil. He's like, really? He said, yeah, it's just plain old white pe <laughs> pastel pencil. He's like, wow, that's too cool. And it totally looks, totally changed the look of the tie. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Really, I, does does a nice job. I almost try. You can get white India ink if you dig around at like Dick Blick or whatever. Try mm -hmm. mixing that with some black India ink and then some alcohol all together and make yourself like just a real nice gray stain to just hit everything with, and then come back and do your browning. I think it looked really good. I, I like the technique. I like the fact that I can see the yellow through it. That gives it some depth. I just think the yellow background is just the wrong color. True. True. I won't argue with you there. Yeah, I like I And I don't know how you do it or if you intend to do it, but you can see it almost looks like the chipping you get on the ends of the ties. Mm -hmm. um, that looks nice. 
Um, I don't know if that was intended or not. Oh yeah. Oh, very oh, nice. Yeah. Then. No, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, yes, yeah, that that's honestly with these ties, I probably will need to go over them. If you look at, because you may not have been on the list long enough to have seen the other photos. Let me see if I if I still have them on my phone. I can email it to the list. Oh, and at least no, I don't be, I look back. I've I had emails from a year ago. At least uh, here's a picture of the other track that I did the pencil to. Uh, let's see, uh, 20 through 26 <laughs> tonight, and some of them have just been one issue, so we'll see. Hopefully it'll mm-hmm. come through. But, yeah, no, I well, like no, it. It, 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 has to do, it has to do with the phone. It has nothing to do with um, the list. Sometimes oh, it, it hangs up. It'll sit there wanting, because I try to send the, the, the photograph relatively large so you can see the, the detail. Yeah. And at 500K, sometimes the phone just sits here for... Well, that's all right. If I try and send uh, emails to the list from my phone, they just won't go through. They'll bounce back at my phone. So it's all good and love more. Now there I got go. a question on these on these little tiny tie plates. How much of a pain in the butt is it to place those and then spike them and get them engaged and everything? Gauge isn't a big deal. Uh, how much of a pain is it? Uh, yeah. As much, probably just as much of a pain as you would think it is. Okay. A pair of tweezers, a pair of pliers for the bike. No, 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 this is O-scale, so no, it's not that bad. Um, Normally we're doing at O-scale. Damn O-scale crap. Ah, Forget this. I'm going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've done it in HO-scale, and yes, that's tweezers, and and I actually, what did I have? I had a a toothpick that had kind of like semi-hardened um, CA on it. Sure. And that was that actually worked quite well to get the tie onto the to get the tie plate onto the tie should be on its way shortly. Um, the photograph. There it gets is. the tie gets the tie plate onto the tie and then yep, oh, I that's remember great. photo. That's nice. Yeah. <sighs> oh. Yeah. On the top of your ties have a very nice um, aged scored effect. How mm-hmm. how did you do that? <laughs> I used a welding brush. Oh, I, okay, so a you, really you, really really stiff bristle welding yeah. brush that you would like have to lean on to get slag off. Yep, That's sure. what that is. Yep. I was doing it with a knife, and okay. a welding brush doesn't like. Two seconds. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, the welding brush will actually destroy that tie if I really want to. Okay. I don't. I don't have to work very hard with a welding brush. It's quite time consuming with a knife. What I may do is go in and do like little divots type thing divots. to look at look and, like it's popped. Yeah, and destroy the ends. One of the things I don't think I could do, maybe. But you're gonna it be kind of kind of sort of maybe really very very tricky, is to um, I don't know if you've you may not have walked on ties much, but sometimes yeah. what will happen is like there'll be a hole that goes sideways through the tie. Yeah. You look at the top and there's like a there's a you can tell there's open space underneath the top of the tie, which is a great place for yellow jackets. Um, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, I haven't met too many of those. Uh, not on, not on 
in-use trackage. I've seen them um, on like the track off to the side, which is right where you right where we might be walking, but um, is not on active track normally. There's enough vibration in active track that they're not particularly interested in hanging out in the ties. That's good. Yeah, they like hanging out in uh, derails, though. Um, from what I understand, I've never. That's why they not around here so much. But um, what we were told in school is, whenever you a flip type derail, whenever you're going to operate it, make sure you throw a rock at it. <laughs> that, so you that's know. part of the technical manual, huh? Throw a rock at it and then yeah. flip it on. <laughs> well, you oh. throw you throw a rock at it. You throw a rock at it to see whether um, it's somebody else's house. And if it's somebody else's house, uh, don't use it. <laughs> don't operate the derail. Get something to kill a meter or something. Like Just the so summer you... I pruned Christmas trees, they basically gave you a 16-inch machete. They gave you a hockey shin pad, showed you how to swing the machete. And if you did it wrong, you basically would hit yourself in the shin. And that's where you put the pad. And then ah. if you took your first swipe and the tree started buzzing, they just told you, drop everything and run. Uh-huh. That, was, that was the rules. Uh-huh. Yeah, kind of um, makes me think, this is probably a better picture. Let me send you this one. Email photo. Same picture, but I used a flash. And so you can get a little bit, you can see it a little bit better. So you used a white pencil across the top of this? Uh-huh. It's and white pastel pencil, yeah. Pastel pencil, okay. And the the ties were stained using artist oils, um, and then just gone. I went over with um, the pencil. I was amazed. It's like, wow, it looks like ties. Because <laughs> when you put the stain on it to begin with, it's like, well, you know, it looks okay. I'm not sure if that's right, but it looks okay. And um, then once I put the, uh, you know, once I put the pencil on it, it's like, wow, that's great. Yep, Mike wants to try it on his. Although I mean, he's using all mostly all plastic ties, but. Yeah, I basically just did uh, a white dry brushing across the plastic ties, and it it kind of gives the same effect as what you you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking HO scale, and I'm not quite I to the level of what you're doing there. Well, it's, I mean, it's, I I'm just like in in a lot of instances, it's just I'm putting it out there, and I'm. I try to tell people I'm not that advanced. I've been around the, I've been around the hobby for a long time, but I haven't been very I haven't been. It was actually since I started going to the Craftsman Structure Show, and like what Clark was saying is, when you push yourself to do a certain level of work, even if you never get there, um, it pushes you up significantly. But when I was young, uh, in my teens, I was doing airbrushing, I was doing, uh, making my own rock molds, staining, coloring them, although I don't do nearly as good work as everybody else does, but um, I thought they looked, I thought the molds looked good. I don't know if I would be uh, happy with the coloring now, but I think the molds look really good. Um, that I think that's a bunch of fun is to, um, you find a good rock and then make a rock mold and supposed to just, you know, and the nice thing yeah. about that is it's something you have to – it's not that you have to take your time, but the stuff takes so long to dry that, you know, it's like you just – it takes about a week to make one. So because you sure. put you put the stuff on, you put like two or three coats on, you've got to let them dry. 
however long that takes. And then you put another coat on, you put on um, um, gauze. gauze, yeah, that's the word, or um, cheesecloth, cheesecloth, and then you put another layer on and cheesecloth, another layer on and cheesecloth, another layer, you know, and then you put a couple more layers on, and then you pull the thing off the rock. Well, that whole process takes a week. So it's not like something, it's not a, okay, I've just spent three full days working on this. It's You've probably spent two hours working on this thing, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember building my first Proto 87 switch from Proto 87 stores. I spent three eight-hour days building it. And then it still it still wasn't right. I ended up I ended up getting so mad at it. I I won't even say what I did to it. Switch to Porto forty eight. Nope, 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 no. I then I read the, his instructions on the website. It says his Proto stores. His instructions can be a little cryptic and hard to find. I like pictures. Easy to find them. His are a couple of paragraphs. And you got to go looking for it. And it's just for the type of thing he's doing, maybe he's thinking that you probably have enough skill where I don't need to tell you very much, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, his products are great. His instructions, not so much. Um, but you know what? His instructions tell you precisely what you need to do and how to do it, if you understand them. <laughs> oh, good night, Terry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, as far as you know, putting in the tie plates, they can be irritating because they're plastic and they're small. And if you spike the, the if you spike the track down too hard, then getting the next tie plate in can be a pain. So the trick is is you want to go about five tie plates ahead, spike it down, but don't spike it down too hard, and then put in those tie plates in between, and then okay. spike those down. And then proceed, you know, and then then start. Um, I'm using big spikes, relatively speaking. I'm using the microengineering spikes, and I cut the heads down, and then I crush them. I crush oh, the heads so yeah. that they're not so wide. But their small spikes are not so small. So HO, they're huge. Oh, HO, they're huge. Oh, they're still huge, but at least they're closer. Really, you should be using uh, Proto 87 spikes for O. Yeah. Those are the more correct ones. Yes. On this last picture you sent there, Jim, there's a bunch of red along the one inner face of the track there. Is that some sort of powder you put in there, or is that just yes. the effect of the picture? No, that's the that's powder. And what was that for? Like the rusting of the tie or something? I don't know, the rusting of the rail and the uh, tie plates. Okay. What normally okay. What normally happens with rail is the rust will flow down the rail and it gets onto the ballast. Mm-hmm. So you don't normally just have rust on the rail, but the rust actually flows into the ballast and change, changes the color of the ballast. It's not uncommon. Right. Huh. Right. Okay. That doesn't. We don't seem to get that as much here. I've seen that on old and abandoned uh, areas that were up near my grandparents' house. Um, they now run. Uh, they now run a little uh, short uh, line through there, which is a. Um, uh, an excursion route, but the one section that they don't use anymore before they ripped it all up, you got uh, what Jim is saying, and yeah. that that was probably about a hundred years old that that section. So that's now, you know, of course, the that being of time. That being said, the um, the Franklin 
mainline, which is the MBTA mainline, yeah. has this effect on it. Believe it or not, when you look at the when you look at the if you look at it from an angle during the summertime, after it's rained a couple of times, um, it looks like a solid line of rust. You don't see the individual. Um, you don't see. You can see where the section between the ties of the ballast is, but you can just see the line of rust continuing. That's where I got the idea. It was actually from a main line track that's like ten trains a day on that tra- to track. So. Is it well, a different grade of steel of some sort, maybe, that causes that? Could be. I mean, it's not like brutal rust. It's just the you know the weathering from the side of the rail, which is kind of a rail brown, roof brown type of color. Um, slightly rusty, but not severe. I have no idea what it's from. I just kind of like the effect. It's not something people really model much. So, And I shouldn't mm. say it doesn't happen here. It, it does. It just doesn't get as wide uh, as the picture yeah. makes it seem. It, it's like maybe at most an inch away from the uh, face of the web of the rail. Yeah, I would say under normal circumstances, that was probably a little heavy-handed on my part. But uh, under normal circumstances, what I'm talking about is um, about even with the tie plates. Okay. The effect I'm talking about is even with the tie plates. It doesn't go all the way out as far as that is. That is, pro, you know, I figured that on a, um, a siding like this, it. I'm sure there's, there's a prototype somewhere that looks like that. So I wasn't well, I overly concerned. So. I can't argue with it because, yeah, exactly. I personally, I like the black dot. The black staining in the middle of the ties on the far right hand side. I think that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that's get... hugely popular. That that happens all the time. Normally, oh, yeah. I gotta figure I gotta figure out some way to make it more goopy because it's kind of you can more oily. Yeah, when I say like goopy, I mean or... like dry, dry, greasy. No, no, like because what will happen a lot of times is the grease will get on the ties and it's like. Yeah. It's kind of thick. It's not shiny. It's just a thick film, so you don't really see very much of the, the ballast. Oh, so the, the detail trick is, underneath it. Yeah, you lose the detail in the ballast. So it's not just a black spot on the ballast. It's goop on the ballast. Could you, and could you I like mix your... a little India ink with uh, maybe some matte, thinned matte medium or something? To... Maybe. Or the powder with matte medium, maybe. Yeah. I would think the powder would probably work better than the India ink, but um, what do you use for your? Um, sorry to interrupt. Um, what do you use for the um, the weeds in the in in the uh, the bed there? The... Um, it's like prairie tufts, that type of material, um, and it, that's actually buried all the way down to the home so so. Oh that's really? Not, okay. That's not on the top. Wow. That's I I filled the ballast in around that just like it would. So it actually has roots, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to see whether the um, whether the future would hold it, because I wasn't mm-hmm. convinced that the future would hold it if I just put it on the top. The other thing is what happens when you put stuff like that on the top, particularly in O scale, is you can see that it's a clump of stuff on the top. Uh-huh. Whereas this, it looks like it's growing up out of the ballast because it is. Yeah, I actually think the technique that you were saying there makes uh, perfect sense for getting that effect. Well, particularly could... in, in O-scale, this is deep. You know, when people, I wasn't sure how well this would work in HO because there's a lot of ballast, which means there's a lot of future 
in this stuff. Yeah. There's a, yeah. you know, there's a lot of material holding that together. And I, and you can take your finger and tap on it, try to dig your fingernail in and it ain't going anywhere. Yeah. And, um, now it doesn't get that hard in an hour. It gets that hard in about a day, but you can in an hour, you know how with, uh, if you use, you know, white glue to, to put ballast down, you can't touch it for four hours, six hours. If you even look at it funny, it screws it up. Um, you basically got to put it in and walk away. And what I like to do is you, you work in little sections and I always put my arm in the ballast. Every time I've used <laughs> white glue, you're always putting your arm in it because you're working on something else and then you get half of all, half of your work is picked up on your arm. It drives me crazy. Um, now, now, you but, say uh, you worked in small sections. Now, when you go from one section to the next section, there's always the inherent issue where you got to try to make, well, to get the consistency so it doesn't look like you've done this in little sections. How do you try to combat that, you know, one day you do this technique, the next day you're slightly different, so you get, it looks different. How do you kind of get it synthesized so that it all looks the same? Um, well... I'm in O now, so it's a little different. And normally, I don't change my techniques, not with this, not with ballasting. My ballasting techniques don't necessarily change much. The other thing is it's not uncommon, even on a main line, for ballast to change from like every two or 300 feet. So it's not uncommon to see like brown rusted ballast and then, you know, a couple carloads of fresh fresh, And it can look you know, awful until they tamp it. So it's, that's not uncommon. So I, you know, I'm basing it on my own experience on the prototype where things can look different. And if you make things look too uniform, the only thing I will say about in a model is because we're looking at such a small space, if it isn't uniform, it looks goofy. Yeah. Whereas in a prototype, you can get away with it. The, the, The problem is, is getting away from the fact, well, it looks goofy. Well, it may look goofy, but it's right. Now, there are certain things that you can't really do that with because it just doesn't look right in a model. The larger the scale is, the more right it looks. But, you know, an HO scale is, basically an HO scale, your ballast has got to be perfect. If your ballast isn't perfect in HO, it just looks like you're lazy and you don't know what you're doing, unfortunately. Um, whereas on, on the prototype, that's, you know, the ballast doesn't normally look that perfect unless you're on a main line. And even then, once you're standing on it, if you're standing on a bridge looking at it, it looks perfect. Once you stand on it, you can see there's all sorts of junk in there. Uh, yeah. That that follows the three-foot rule that I like. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, when you stand at a model, how many scale feet are you away? When you go to do your prototype research, that's how you should look at it. So, you know, um, yes and no. Yes and no. The only thing that I will say about that is it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, it also depends on the scale that you're in. I think you can get away with that in N, but um, what I will say to that philosophy is okay, yeah, if it looks great from three, if it looks okay from three feet, uh, okay, but if it looks good from an inch and a half, Think how good it's going to look from three feet. That's that, but it's a little different with O scale and P48. It's because people are going to stick their face right into it. 
you know, people, you know, with that box car that I did, people can put their face an inch and a half from it, and you can read the lettering on the the little pieces of paper I put on the side of the car. Yeah. People people can't believe that I made tack boards out of wood. It's like that's real wood on the tack boards. I'm like, yeah. Just, well, okay, and then you glued it on. I says, no, I used I used uh, aluminum foil as the um, as the you know real tack boards have got this like thin gauge metal that holds it all together. Um, so I used aluminum foil, so it's actually just about the right size. Um, and people are like, you're out of your mind. That may be true, and that's not a... Uh, that's not Wouldn't be the first time you've heard that. That's not the first time I've heard that, but you know what? Does it look good? Well, yeah. Okay. That's the point. Um, and it's, you know, it's nice to hear, to have something that I can go to a prototype meet and say, people are like, oh, wow, cool. That's, you know, people are like, that's way too cool. You know, and then, then when you say, oh, you know, the thing cushions, no way. Oh, and you pull the pin, it actually opens the coupler. They're like, no way. <laughs> to the to the to the uh the glad hands mate too i says i'm working on that oh man <sighs> so gotta get that mill huh jim <laughs> yeah i do actually um i gotta get around to doing that one of these days i like a lot of other things it, i i don't know whether i'll have the time i'm glad i got this i'm glad i got the thing from mike basically finished because something's coming up that i'm not going to say until the next show that it may totally screw my time up. So, um, we'll see. Come on, Jim, let us in. Nope. <laughs> Two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks. July 2nd, you can hear about it. I can't tell you now. So, um, I'm going to harass you on Skype for two weeks. That's what it will be. <laughs> be my guess. Be my guess. Because most of the time on Skype, I'm not actually there. I just I forget. To turn, I just forget to turn myself off. So, anyway, um, no, no, no. You know, I will tell everybody once I get there. It's just I'm not telling anybody. So, you know, anyway. Um, oh no, surprises are good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yes, it actually was very nice to get the plaque. Totally, you know. Uh, and it was interesting. I don't know if you heard the part of the conversation where the Hales were saying, "Well, you just got to, you know, basically got to tell people I'm not doing this for free anymore." It's like, well, I'm not going to tell Mike that. And I knew that in this particular case, Mike was. If I had told Mike that, "Hey, do you want me to do this and pay me?" He'd be like, "Thanks, no," you know, because I knew, you know, he had other of the design. I'm good, you know, because he's a very good modeler. So it's like, I'm good. I'll just do it this way. So. Well, and I've tried doing woodworking uh, as a business on the side for a while, mm-hmm. and it, it gets tough because you know you've done work, especially when you get to woodworking. I, I don't know. I compare a lot of that hobby with this hobby and how it's different and the same. And you know, you do all these free things for family and friends. And the conference is scheduled to be broken down automatically in. Five minutes. To extend the time by 60 minutes, press star eight. Somebody figured nah. that out yet? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you compare the two and you end up looking at friends that you've built, you know, a chair for or something. And you say, mm-hmm. yeah, that's going to cost you $600 this time around. And they just look at you like, nah, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. And, you, you and know. part of you says, 
ah, but I really want to build that, and I really like you guys. So what am I doing wrong? Right. But they do. Right. They do have a. They do have a point because no, they I have, have people point. ask me to design the house for them or do the working drawings for them so that they can go oh, in. And it's yeah. like, well, you know what? There's there's a lot of rules and regulations that I have to live by because this is my profession, and I'm not going to jeopardize my profession or what I do to support my family because you're a friend or a family or whatever. So if you can do that. That's great. That's uh, that's where I can I can kind of say you know you back it out, but I also do believe that you know you probably will have a lot of people who would say you know what I'm good mm-hmm. and back away. But if you're very clear about it with them mm-hmm. and say look you know I'm trying to do this as a business and in order for this to work for me you know i have to i have to be charging and you, in because they're friends or family you may offer them discounts or whatever it is right. in order to to still do it for them so that they can afford it but still justify your mm-hmm. business your existence time. no i mean um, i you know i can look at it and say i'm not in business and i wouldn't do that to them now because in a lot of ways this is you know if you, I mean, well, this is kind of harsh, but I get free advertising. Yeah, I, I, I totally gives, understand he, what you, know, you did he gives, Mike. He, he gives me discounts uh, on model train stuff, if anything I need. So the smaller stuff he just gives to me. So it's like... But that's a quid pro quo, and that's yeah. the type of thing where if you're getting quid pro quo, then obviously you work deals, whatever they may that's be. Right. It may be free for something else or whatever. But we're not necessarily talking the Mike no. Rose situation. No, no. You're no. talking somebody, about if somebody, somebody came up fresh coming in. Well, I'll take Ben for instance. Uh, ben said, "Hey, I'll pay you to build a turnout for me." Okie dokie. <laughs> because what well, you're asking for, I'm not going to do that unless I see some cash. Okay, <laughs> he says, "Somebody gives me cash, I'll do it." Other than yeah, that, right. I have other things I want to do. Oh, okay. And yeah, no, and I that's can, exactly I can be brutally it. honest. You know, it's like if you want to take away from my own hobby time, I want some money. And I don't want to be obnoxious, but that's just well, the way it is. Well, it's you not know. about being obnoxious. It's about, it's I know. about drawing that line somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There may be the odd toe that you step on with somebody, but I, I feel that most of the time family and friends will genuinely understand when you're making that kind of decision. Fortunately, and, with me, with model railroading, I have no other family or friends that are into model railroading. So, yeah. Well, you have friends. I have friends. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I have no family. I have no family that's into model railroading. Let's see. This sounds like... Oh, does that work? But it, I, don't think I, I don't think we can do it. No, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think Tom has to be the Tom one. Tom has to be the one that, to yeah. do it. So I, yeah. I figured I did Star 8 just to give us a couple more minutes. But if it ends, oh, well. Um, I'm going to say my goodnight, guys, because I've got another uh, big day tomorrow, and uh, it's been fun as always, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Roger. Have a good night. night. Nice talking to you, Brian. Night. Oh, David, you're still there. Oh, David, you're still here. Yeah, sure. I've been listening. (laughs) So nice and quiet. I just got the final piece and stick on my uh, pulp, pulp ramp. How wonderful. That was a three-day project that I have really enjoyed accomplishing. I put a Very picture. Nice. I don't know if it came through. Very nice uh, rock work, David. 
Ah, yeah. Well, thank you. When are you moving to Iowa? Because, yeah, right now, uh, that kind of help would be great. Uh, well, I live near Iowa. I'm in Wisconsin, but I'm not moving there. <laughs> well, that's cool. That's just a, you know a couple hour drive away. Then that's fair enough. <laughs> you know,